Hello, and welcome to MikeyPod, episode 238. This episode is for August 14th, 2017. Ah, what's up? Damn it, I just recorded a... Well, I thought I was recording a fantastic pro, uh, intro to this podcast, and I wasn't recording. So you missed it, and but it was great. Uh, everyone in this hotel room loved it, but there's no one here. Welcome to MikeyPod! <laughs> I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller. Now I'm paranoid. Am I still recording? Yes. Uh, electronic musician and activist based in New York City. And as such, I have some pretty diverse tastes in things. So on this podcast, you could hear guests ranging from activists to musicians to pastors to authors, wherever else strikes my fancy. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for a little over 11 years. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at michaelheron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron. Leave a voicemail at 347-460-1753 or email mikeypod at gmail.com. Also, I just want to make sure you know this, especially for people who are newly listening. Over the summer, like a lot of new people have been showing up, and I love it. Um, if you're new to what a podcast is, um, you might be listening to this at MikeyPod.com. If you are, look on the right-hand side, or if you're not, if I, I upload it to different places too. Uh, you can go to MikeyPod.com, look in the right sidebar, and there are some bright, colorful buttons that show you how to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, yeah, you can do any of these things. Apple Podcasts, Android, email, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, RSS. Um, if you need help, send me an email, mikeypod at gmail.com. Uh, that way you'll never miss an episode and uh, you can stay on top of things. Excellent. Also on that sidebar, you'll see uh, Become a Patron. If you would like to support this work I'm doing with the podcast, right now I'm touring with my show about animals as individuals, it's storytelling, music, um, magic, <laughs> um, and my next show is today, if you're listening to this when I release it, um, in Portland. And then I start wrapping things up and start heading back to the East Coast. Yeah, um, so today's guest is Ren Hurst. I should have mentioned that before. She... Uh, it's just an amazing conversation. I, I was just with her for six days in uh, Montague, California, on her huge piece of land that has no plumbing, no electricity, <laughs> an RV, 13 horses, and four dogs. She's amazing. Like, you'll hear the whole story. Um, I, I feel deeply changed by having spent that time with her. Uh, like I have with everybody on this trip, the thing that... So I want to play a song for you. And I just discovered from the Sub Pop this is the label of this song uh, website that I could indeed play this on my podcast. It's called Call It Dreaming, and it's by Iron and Wine. And strangely, my friend Adrian told me about this song, and it just became the song that I started listening to every time I left a place to go to another one. And each of these places I've been staying have been uh, just people, for the most part, people I had never met and who just said, sure, come and stay with us. And it's, in general, um, activist houses or... Um, uh, sanctuaries. I just drank some coffee. And I just blended in. Like, at each of these places, I went and stayed. I stayed with Ren for six days. Um, I stayed at uh, Planet Rehab in California, also in California, for, I think, six days. I stayed at, uh, I can't even name all the places I've been. Um, and at each place, the majority of the places are places that had never met me and they just knew me from emailing and asking them if I could do this. And these are the places that said yes and didn't send me a weird email or just ignore me. So I became a part of the family at each of these places and there wasn't a single time that I felt like I didn't fit. 
And I'm a person who likes to think that I don't fit in. So that's a new thing for me. <laughs> um, anyway, so I've been listening to this song at the end of each at the end of each visit. And when I leave, I put this song on. And it didn't really mean anything to me. And it felt like just something I was doing, right? Like, I just felt like I was supposed to do it somehow. Yesterday when I left Ren's place, it all made sense. This song is about people carrying each other uh, to me. And it's about living in what is what is. And uh, there's this whole part. It says, uh, for all the love you've left behind, you can have mine. And that's been what my experience has been. You know, like, uh, I, I left love up behind in New York, if you want to be like that specific about things, um, or throughout my life, right? And this is about people picking you up. And that's what's been happening to me for this trip. And it's a glorious thing. <sighs> so let's listen to the song. And it'll be followed by my interview with Ren. Uh, and if, if there's no outro, I apologize. I'm in a hotel in Eugene, Oregon, and I have an hour and 15 minutes to get packed back up, upload this podcast and get on the road before, uh, checkout time. So forgive me if this ends abruptly. Uh, thanks for listening. I love you. Patreon.com slash Michael Heron, or you can just go to bit.ly slash fund mhm to do a one-time tax deductible donation or you can just subscribe to this podcast it's totally free uh, i put videos up on youtube which are also free lots of free stuff so check check have a great day talk to you soon say it's here where our pieces fall in play any rain softly kisses a summer face anywhere we can sleep and see them coming Where we drift and call it dreaming We can weep and call it singing Where we pray when our hearts are strong Our music's warmer than blood Where we see enough to follow We can hear when we are hollow Where we keep the light we're given We can lose and call it living Where the sun isn't only sinking fast Every night knows how long it's supposed to last Where the time of our lives is all we have And we get a chance to say Before we ease away For all the love you've left behind You can have mine
Joining me now is Ren Hurst. I've been here on this piece of property in Montague, California, close to Mount Shasta for around a week. I lost track of how many days it is. Six days. This would be the sixth day. Um, Ren is a former horse trainer who now uh, does a whole different thing <laughs> with horses. <laughs> so I, I should set the scene because we've restarted several times because there's been crazy noises in the background. We're sitting outside on, how many acres is this? This is 80 acres. On 80 acres next to the uh, camper, like RV um, that Ren lives in. And we're right next to a road and there's 13 horses. Yeah, and three pigs. <laughs> 13 <laughs> horses, three pigs, and two dogs. Four dogs. Four dogs, did I say, <laughs> did I say two dogs? Yeah. <laughs> when they're looking at you like, which one of those did you leave out? <laughs> Who did you leave out? Uh, so, and we don't have electricity. And I've been pooping in a bucket. Yeah, good. I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you made that clear. <laughs> uh, so, so, tell me about, it's so funny interviewing, like, I often interview people I've just met. Yeah, we've been, like, living together as family, pooping in buckets together for a week, so that changes things. Yeah, so I'm trying to find that, like, vibe. Mm -hmm. I think we'll get there. So what what changed, what changed you from horse trainer to... Horse so person that does the thing you do. <laughs> what is this? What do I do? <laughs> no, um, so I grew up in Texas. I lived most of my life there and trained horses, became a really successful holistic horse care practitioner. I was a hoof care specialist um, and a, a really like well-received trainer in the area. And I was on a constant path for truth and trying to find the best ways to train horses not necessarily for the horse's benefit per se, but to make myself the most successful I could be, giving people what they wanted, which was connection and relationship and love and all of those things that they sell in natural horsemanship packages, which are all false, by the way. <laughs> and so uh, that led me to finding a school out of Russia called Nevsarov Ot Ekol. And at the time that I found them, I was definitely too arrogant of a horse trainer to succumb to the ideas of not riding. And I watched everything they did, studied their work, and I was like, okay, I get it. We can do this. And so I went and rescued a stallion that had not been worked with, um, who was pretty aggressive and really didn't have much handling. And I started applying their principles to working with him, which were essentially honor the horse's every no, 
you can't control them in any way. All you can do is request and maintain composure and set really strong but very gentle boundaries. Um, and gentle in that we don't make the horse wrong, but you make it very clear what is and isn't appropriate uh, behavior towards you by being willing to leave if that's necessary. But really it's, it's about how you stand in your energy and what you will and won't allow from someone else. And so by practicing that kind of work with him for two weeks, he pretty much shattered every reality I had about horse training, about life, about love, about relationships, because he started cooperating and doing things for me in ways that as a professional successful horse trainer weren't deemed possible. And being in Texas and surrounded by that mindset, um, I stopped riding. I started talking about this. People would come to my house every month and get um, get kind of shown what this work was. And they would have profound experiences. Everybody would be crying, but then they'd go home and be surrounded by their horseback riding friends, and they just wouldn't have the support. And I didn't have the support. So I met some like-minded people out here near Mount Shasta and just left my entire life and career behind to come live in the desert with these horses and wrote a book about it. And that landed us in Ashland on a little bit of a new mission that uh, didn't pan out the way that we originally hoped, which is great, because we were hoping it would turn into a vegan farm stay and bed and breakfast. But this work we do with animals even transcends that mentality, um, because it really takes a look at the emotional exploitation side of how we relate to animals, which I don't think a lot of vegans are talking about. <clears throat> we tend to focus on the physical exploitation, eating, wearing, using them. Um, and so four years later, I'm back in the desert with these horses mm. with a new plan, finishing um, my new book that really goes into what this is and how to do it. And life is really peachy, pooping in a bucket out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're so good at answering questions like completely because I'm like, oh, wait, what do I ask next? <laughs> but there was something we were talking about. Well, a couple of things. One is you, you mentioned um, sanctuaries and and. I can't remember if you mentioned it today. We've been talking so much this week. <laughs> um, and and this being sort of a, a bigger work than just what's happening at sanctuaries. What what would what would a, a, a expanded sort of sanctuary look like in your view? Does that question yeah, make sense? Yeah, totally. I, know, I think I know what you're asking. Um, so I think sanctuary is going to become an absolute necessity for the moving forward on this planet um, in terms of as people move into more loving relationship dynamics, not just with animals, but with other people, there becomes this no longer needing to have animals in your life to feel okay. And I think it's gonna be a really rare individual that flips their life completely upside down to do whatever is necessary to take care of the animals in their care. And so spaces like this are going to be necessary where non-exploitative relationships are modeled. And yeah, of course, we have tons of sanctuaries and rescues around the world right now. But most of them, and I know this is going to trigger a lot of people, but let's just call it what it is. They're glorified petting zoos. People are coming out and using treats or food or whatever to get a false sense of connection with an animal that lasts when they're in the animal's presence and they're spending time with animals and then they're walking away and then they're throwing lots of money at these organizations. And that's not to say that these organizations aren't doing a tremendous amount of good, especially in treating the symptoms of our society of these cast off animals. But what we're trying to create now is a movement that creates sanctuary where a new paradigm of love is practiced, not just with animals, but with humanity. Because 
while I am vegan and I do speak up for that, I'm a vegan as a result of this love that I've learned how to practice. And so I guess you could say I'm, a, I'm an activist for, for love. And so in my opinion, if we're creating spaces where we're pointing out the horrors of animals, but we're pointing fingers at the humans that are committing such atrocities, we've forgotten these humans need to be embraced as well in the same way. And I'm trying to create a place or a situation where that's understood, um, where people can heal from their own pain levels and so that people can have their inner resources to face the, um, the just amazing amount of destruction we're committing on this planet just from a lack of knowing what it is to love and how to love each other. There's a part of your work that is, uh, includes people being healed with the animals and I think that might be something that's hard to sort of get, you know, because my sort of knee jerk around like equine therapy yeah. <laughs> is, oh, that's not good. It's not vegan <clears throat> because it exploits the horses. Mm-hmm. What what's it what does it look like in a non-exploitive way? Well, to to make it really simple, you, you don't use the animals for therapy. You allow the animals to model what it is to be healed and you learn from that and you set up boundaries that keep you from using them in any way. But they are there, and being around animals that are in a healed capacity or in an undomesticated or an unconditioned state feels really nice, and it feels really safe, and it feels like a place where you can kind of let go and let some of this stuff down trauma and stuff down emotional turmoil you've been carrying your whole life kind of come to the surface. And if that is facilitated by people who are in a position to actually do that work, then that kind of therapy can be really tremendous, and it doesn't take anything away from the animals. It supports them 100%. So what we want to do here, especially with this particular property, is completely change the model of how animals are related to in therapies because there are therapeutic benefits to being around animals, but if we are emotionally exploiting them, and what I mean by that is if we are going to animals in order to get our emotional needs met, while that feels really great and that treats that symptom, it does not lead to healing. It, tr- it turns interactions with animals into yet another drug. Mm. How did, and it, stop me. Oh, I also want to say if you heard a little digging, that was digging. <laughs> There's a dog <laughs> under the table. <laughs> um, how did your work with animals like, unlock that uh, trauma for you? Well, um, through the work I was doing with the original stallion that changed all of this, with the parameters that are in place, there's literally no way to, to use or exert control over the animal. And so you are left like just with your feelings. And there was a moment where through my commitment to not using him through this process, all of this stuff came up in me. Can I say shit? Because that's what I wanted to say. say (laughs) All of my shit came (laughs) up. And there was like, I just started shaking. There was nothing I could do with it because normally you would like put that into the animal or into your training of the animal or, or move them away or exert some sort of power and control. And it would just, it would feel better. But whatever was coming up would just get stuffed back down. Well, there was no way to do that. So I literally just came undone. And he was bouncing around being really aggressive because that's really not the kind of energy he responds well to. Mm-hmm. And when I completely surrendered into a vulnerable place and the tears started falling, he dropped down gently to his feet, came over and rested his, rested his head on my chest. And in that moment, I just completely came undone. And I realized there's actually nothing wrong with me. 
and he could see that, but only when I was in a vulnerable place. So it was like I felt seen, I felt heard, um, and I didn't put that on him. He just showed up in that way, and I think that's all anyone really needs is to truly be seen and not judged, and that's what the animals have to offer us is a completely non-judgmental place to practice right relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like a beautiful story. There's also <laughs> another thing, and I, I can't remember the horse's name. The Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to say what the story is, so you can just what say it. What color is the horse? <laughs> I don't know. It involves your nose. That story. Wait, didn't a horse come in like... Oh, Coco Bueno. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> it involves your nose. I know. I was, I was like, what happened to my nose? Wait, it is, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, back in Texas, when I was still exploring this, um, and this story is in my book, but um, I was sitting at the base of a tree because <clears> I had really kind of gotten into the practice of just going out and observing the horses and really not even going to them for any reason because I, at that stage, I almost felt guilty for even <laughs> going to them for like a hug because I was like, oh God, I'm using you for a hug. And uh, so I would just go sit in the pasture and watch them and see what happened. And he came up to me and I was sitting, which is already a vulnerable place to be with a big thousand pound animal. And he started like playing with my hair and that was all really cool with me. I was used to that kind of stuff. And then he started, like, smelling around my nose, and I was like, hmm. But I didn't feel threatened. He was really, really calm. And part of my work, and this is not me suggesting other people do this, because that would be stupid if you didn't have my background and experience. But he started opening his, his lips around my nose, and, but he felt really calm. So, yes, I knew I was taking a risk. I, was, I might lose my face in this interaction. This was when it was brand new to me. And, um, but I just wanted to kind of see where it went. So I, I went into this very surrendered place and just was, I was ready. I had my hand ready to protect my nose if I needed to, gently, I might add, or tell him to stop. And he separated his teeth. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go with this because <laughs> something is telling me something's different about this interaction. And he placed his teeth around my nose. And he just held it there really gently for like at least 30 seconds and my heart rate decreased and I was like okay I don't know what he's doing but he's clearly not biting me and I don't know what this is and then he slowly pulled away and made direct eye contact with me and just held it for like it felt like eternity and it was the deepest intimacy I think I had ever experienced at that point in my life between me and another being there was just like I don't know what it was about. I have since heard that animals do behavior like that in order to like build relationship and build trust, but that's all of our perception. That's our story about it. But I've since seen him do it to other horses and it's a very gentle thing. It doesn't lead to any kind of like antics. Um, but it, it just really shattered the like whole reality again, even further. Like this is what intimacy is. This, this deep vulnerability and trust shared between two beings. And it's not, anything to do with what we are raised thinking it is um because at that point in my life I thought intimacy was like somehow sexual and that's the only way it could be and this was like the most non-sexual interaction of my entire <laughs> life and I'm like oh my god I don't have this with other people I really don't and I don't want to only have this with animals so that was kind of like this is what this work is about is learning right relationships so that we can take that back into our own homes with each other and try to hopefully change things I don't know if this. I don't. You may not have anything else to say about this, but There's I kind of want to. Never a situation where Ren doesn't have anything else to say. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> there, like one of one of my big takeaways that feels so corny after, especially after a week like this, um, has been your approach and something that I want to adopt too of being a, 
an activist for love yeah. over just being an activist for veganism. Corny together. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think that's really, really important. The idea of, well, you've said it already, like the whole idea of, of acknowledging where everyone is and, and, and meeting them with love too, even if they're doing something that I find horrific, yeah. like a slaughterhouse worker totally. or something like that. Um, yeah, what's next for this place? I mean, it's sort of hard to say, but you have some things coming up that I know about, and I don't know how much of them you want to throw out. Oh, but. yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about all of it. I think the main thing on that, though, is <clears throat> we need a new definition of love. We throw love around like the word God, and people have their own versions of it, and they, they think it's like this ooey-gooey feeling where we just, like, throw hearts and flowers on people. That is not what love is. I can look at what you're doing, completely be against what you're doing, have, have n no okay at all, with what somebody else is doing, but I can still understand them and have compassion and empathy for that individual. And that's where love comes in. It's the allowing of things to be what they are without bringing shame and guilt into the situation. And it's a lot bigger than that. And that's what my whole next book is about. But um, we don't have to be nice about the things that we don't agree with in this world like obvious violence we don't have to stand in that and be like oh it's okay I love this person that's not what I'm talking about I'm saying okay this person's clearly acting out in a way that makes sense for whatever their experience has been thus far and if we have enough inner resources to deal with our own stuff that's coming up then we can stand in that and bear witness to that and then make inspired changes without directing anger at anyone else because the second that we direct anger as activists towards someone else we're committing the same violence we're fighting for and are fighting against and that just makes zero sense and when we turn people against us the last thing they're going to want to do is believe in the loving thing that we're trying to accelerate in the world and if we just get people to change their external behavior what have we actually solved have we learned intimacy have we learned how to be vulnerable with one another have we learned how to connect with one another deeply no we haven't all we've done is create a bigger messier ball of stuff down emotion that's going to come out in some way that isn't gonna be good for everybody. So what we are doing here, okay, I've got two things, major things going. I've, I've founded the New World Sanctuary Foundation, which is a nonprofit. And the New World Sanctuary Foundation is not a single physical location. A lot of people get that confused because my life's been confusing the last four years. Mm -hmm. But what we are is a foundation um, that is creating a global network of sanctuaries that are modeling non-exploitative relationship. So we have this place, which is not a rescue by any means. This is my personal uh, facility where I'm going to be working with um, other professionals and in in training them as facilitators and equine-assisted therapists and things of that nature to bring integrity to their work and not exploit animals any longer. Um, there's a developing sanctuary in our network in Talent, Oregon, between Ashland and Medford that um, my original herd of miniature horses are at and we'll be doing more like public things there and uh, potlucks and spreading veganism and sustainable energy practices and this this relationship work and doing like potlucks and things like that. And then we have a third sanctuary potentially joining our network in a few months out in Georgia, which is a farm animal sanctuary. And so as we get these three developed and have a model in place, other sanctuaries and organizations or just land bases that are willing to offer education around these subjects, if they're willing to house animals in non-exploitative ways, 
through the foundation, people can support the animals. That's what it's set up for, is so that more and more places <laughs> start developing where animals can be cared for in this way so that this idea and movement spreads. And uh, this may even confront some of the existing sanctuaries that are out there because there's a lot of things going on in a lot of these places that are still exploitative, and maybe they just don't know. And I think that's probably the case um, because this is pretty advanced stuff when it comes to relationship. This is seeing animals in a totally different light. Um, that's the foundation aspect of the work. Now, I personally am writing books around this to try to get people educated on what this is. Um, I'm offering coaching and consulting, and I'm offering training out here at this location to help some of the gifted, some of the most gifted facilitators um, that are around bring a whole new level of success to their work, both for animals and the people they're trying to help. So the book, the existing book, is writing on the power of others. Uh, the new book. Sort of, it's soon, but there's no release date yet, right? No, not yet. It's gonna be done by October, <laughs> or I'm gonna cut off my leg <laughs> or something. But um, it should. It, it's really close to being finished. It's just got some really difficult things to put in that I haven't myself been able to move through emotionally yet. But I'm right at the edge of that, and um, that is Animal Lover: Restoring Connection to Wild Wisdom. And that book, um, Writing on the Power of Others, is my entire story up until this point and explains how I came to these conclusions and all of my experience as a horse trainer. Um, so it's really powerful for people that have horses in their lives to understand the trajectory that led me to these places because you do not walk away from a successful six-figure career for no reason. Um, the new book is focused more on dogs and the fact that this work transcends all species and can very much be taken into human dynamics as well. And it tries to give an understanding around love as I've come to know it. It draws a parallel between domestication and codependency and how keeping pets the way that we have up until this point is very much the perpetuation of codependency in our society and why we have such dysfunctional relationships with one another, not just animals. But we go into each way that humanity is in relationship to animals and beg the question, is this love? And how could it be different? And then the second half of the book is the 13 principles I've developed that uh, help people make sure that they are moving into a more authentic, loving relationship with one another. Mm. I'm re I'm ready. I, well, I have time because I still haven't read your first book. <laughs> there you go. I feel like I need to like confess that on the podcast. Uh, so the best place to find you online? Um, currently, it's probably on Facebook or emailing me at truthlovecourage at me dot com. But very soon, um, but not sooner than the book is finished, it'll be through my new website undomesticateyourlife.com. dot com. And should we direct people to the uh, New World? Yeah, yeah, you can definitely get me there. I'm the president of the board, but I won't be involved in the daily runnings of the foundation any longer than I have to be. We've got a new team coming on um, to move that forward. But that's newworldsanctuary.org, and we should have a new website that's updated with all the latest content here in the next two to three weeks. That's amazing. I feel like I'm here, like, right at the like birth of a lot of new stuff. So it's going to be really exciting to watch it all come to life. Yeah, it'll be fun if you come back next year and uh, we'll either be <laughs> in a really interesting situation or it'll be really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it could be like, sorry, we had the, the buckets got repossessed. <laughs> we didn't move all the buckets. <laughs> so now you just poop on the ground. <laughs> thanks so much for joining me and of course for your hospitality this week. Well, thanks for being here, Michael. It's been a blast.